Welcome. You made it to the Secret Society of Success. In this not-so-secret podcast, we interview L&D changemakers about how they approach the evolving corporate environment and cultivate their own careers. We hope that from their stories, you find lessons and inspirations to make yourself, your people, and your organizations more successful. In this first season, we're exploring the topic of hybrid learning, what that means at different organizations, why it is increasingly important, and how L&D leaders can invest in the right resources to best leverage it. Today, we're discussing what good hybrid learning looks like. Cindy Huggett, author and virtual training expert, is joining us to discuss definitions, what most organizations are doing today, and where L&D leaders need to invest in order to make sure their hybrid programs actually achieve their learning and business outcomes. Cindy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. So Cindy, you know, before we jump into the podcast itself, uh, could you just share a little bit about your background? Sure. I think the thing your listeners will be most interested in is that I've been doing hybrid and virtual learning for the last 20 years. I was working inside an organization in the early 2000s, told to cut my budget, stop traveling, but still provide training to my global audience. So I started using a really early version of WebEx to provide training and I ended up going out on my own thinking I'd do some HR and training consulting. And I kept getting asked, Cindy, how are you doing this virtual thing? And so I started writing and speaking and teaching and consulting on how do you do virtual well? Needless to say, the last two years have been very busy and it's been a lot of fun to work with clients around the globe and helping them do virtual training and hybrid learning really well. That's great. I'd like to start to just level set this conversation with some definitions. So let's start with this fun buzzword, hybrid learning. What does that mean to you, Cindy? Well, for me, hybrid learning in a workplace setting means a synchronous event, a a live event where some of the participants are in person and some of the participants are remote. And I think it's important to start the conversation here, Tom, because as I've been talking and researching and writing about hybrid for the past several years, in just the last few months, I've had a number of people say things like, well, what about the assignments or what about the self-led part? And it's led me to realize that especially in a university setting or a college setting, that in that context, hybrid means a curriculum that has some synchronous and some asynchronous. So when we say the word hybrid, it's really important to find out, well, what's your definition of hybrid? Are you talking about a curriculum, a journey? Are you talking about a single event that happens to have an audience in different locations? And so I refer to hybrid as that latter definition, the synchronous event that has audiences, some in person, some remote, and uh, let's re- let's refer to hybrid that way. That's great. Blended learning. What does that mean to you? Oh, there's definitely overlap because blended learning in a workplace setting is a journey. It's a curriculum that happens to have some self-led and some in-person or 
instructor-led could be online uh, and more likely than not is online. But it's this intentionally designed curriculum that has multiple modalities. So for example, if I'm learning how to be a customer service agent, I might do some self-study on my own. I might go to some classes. I may do some practice and some coaching. And it's the combination of all of that that creates the dedicated blended learning curriculum. Now, like we were just talking about in a university setting, they call that hybrid. Uh, but we in the workplace or corporate learning setting are going to call that blended. And the last one I'd like to dive into is hybrid classroom. What does that mean to you? So it's an interesting term, hybrid classroom. There are certain vendors out there, and especially uh, recently who've become quite popular, who offer technology packages that are dedicated hybrid classrooms. It may be a camera or a camera bar, or it may be an audio system or a wall of video screens where the hybrid classroom, a dedicated room that makes doing hybrid easy. Uh, One small example of that is Zoom rooms. When we think of the product Zoom that we're even using right now to record this conversation, we think of it as a a synchronous event, but there's a product, Zoom rooms. Uh, Most of the major software vendors who create virtual or video conferencing are coming out with this type of technology. So when I think of a hybrid classroom, I think of a dedicated classroom that makes doing hybrid learning or having hybrid meetings easier. If my notes are correct for our for the purpose of our conversation, hybrid learning is a live event, right? Where you have an audience that might be physically in front of you and an audience that also might be distributed. Whereas blended learning, that's really about your curriculum. It's the curriculum journey, which is different than an actual live event. And then the classroom, as you put it, is really kind of a product or a tool or a location that's designed to make facilitating that hybrid learning as easy as possible. Absolutely. And the one thing I would add for the hybrid classroom, even though there are dedicated vendors who are creating certain rooms that make it easy, you can also do it on your own. If you have any conference room, right? (laughs) Any conference room where you set up with a laptop or an audio connection or a video connection, you can make that a hybrid classroom, but it's a dedicated space. I love that idea of a DIY hybrid classroom. I think we'll get back to that later in our conversation. So as you shared with the audience, this is your space. This is your area of expertise. It's where you've been working and living even before March, 2020. So let me ask you this, based on your research, you know, in, in, in the state of virtual training report that you shared, it sounds like most organizations who say that they're doing hybrid learning are really delivering classroom training to a blend of people remote, kind of that your definition of hybrid learning, right? They're, they're calling it blended. Some are calling it hybrid I want to really, really focus the entire discussion on how do you maximize the delivery in that setting? How do you make it as effective as possible in terms of achieving that business outcome? So first, maybe you've got an L&D professional who's trying to balance that decision of, hey, should I deliver this with a hybrid learning event or should I deliver this with in-person? What are some of the benefits that they'll get from choosing the hybrid? 
So I have a big smile on my face because <laughs> back in 2016, uh, one of my books, the Virtual uh, Training Tools and Templates book, I wrote about hybrid learning and I actually wrote, don't do it. I wrote, this is something that if you can avoid it, avoid it. And if though you have to do it, then here's how you do it well. Here's here's what we can do. And fast forward to 2022, believe it or not, that is still my recommendation that if you have an audience that is in person, together, co-located, and you have an audience that's remote, if you have the time, the resources, the energy, the ability to have, let's take a training class topic, any training class topic, and to do an in-person version of it and to do an online or virtual version of it, do that. Now, the reality is most organizations don't have those type of resources. We're not able to say, I want to offer the management development program in person, and I want to offer the management development program online. And so the reality of how we're working today with work hasn't stopped, but work location has changed. Some people are in an office, some are remote, some are always from this point forward going to be remote or have the choice of whether or not they're remote. You have a good, strong internet connection and a a laptop uh, or access to the programs you need. You can work from anywhere. So when we talk about maximizing, what should we do to embrace hybrid learning is let's recognize just like you can work from anywhere, you can learn from anywhere. And and we're going to get deeper into more of the how, um, but recognize that we want to allow our remote audience, those who are working remotely by choice or for whatever reason that is, that they can participate in the learning program as well. We now have the technology that allows allows that to happen, facilitators who can get the skills to do that well, designs that can be effective for those dual audiences. So we can embrace it. We just need to recognize that it is a dedicated effort on behalf of many stakeholders to make it work well. That's great. I, I, it's a. It's not the answer I think most people were expecting, but I love that. I think that the you know, the reality is that, you know, as you said, faced with other options, this wouldn't be your first choice, but faced with the reality of many people's circumstances, given the fact that much of the workforce or some parts of most people's workforces will now be and likely remain remote for some period of time, that you've got an audience you've got to be able to reach, right? And sure. I think that now, as you as you so beautifully said, the benefits are a growing skill set and tool set to be able to do that and deliver it well in a way that's impactful that creates an outcome. So let's get into that. But I want to start maybe not with what works, but what do you see that doesn't work? I feel like sometimes that can be a more actionable takeaway. So what are some of the big mistakes you see in hybrid learning delivery? I see two big mistakes in hybrid learning delivery. And the first one is facilitators who 
pay attention to the audience right in front of them. If they're in the room, they're co-located and yes, they have the remote audience and they know that they're there, but whether consciously or subconsciously, they don't put the emphasis on them, which really leads me to the second mistake. And when we think about preparation for an event, Many years ago, when we only did in-person events, your preparation was on your content. Your preparation was on what's the topic, what are my outcomes, what are the activities, right? We really focused in on that. And then when everyone went virtual, when, when we started doing virtual training, the preparation was on the technology, on what software will I use? Does everyone have a webcam or headsets, uh, right? Both hardware and software. The technology was the focus. Content was still important, but the focus became technology. Now that we're in a hybrid learning environment where we have audiences in different locations, the focus of our preparation needs to be on the participant experience. We with empathy, think through what's the audience experience going to be like? Our in-person audience, are they going to have devices to connect in? Uh, What's that going to be like in the room? Can we get them on camera? My remote audience, what's the experience going to be like for them? Are we going to ask them to be on camera? Are we going to modify activities to ensure that they feel included? And Again, it's not that the technology is not important. It's not the content's not important, but our shift in focus. So the mistake that I see made is not shifting focus of where our preparation needs to be. And especially as hybrid is new for many organizations, we're getting uh, used to it. The preparation that goes into it being successful, there needs to be emphasis on that. I think that that specific takeaway on shifting the focus to the participant experience uh, is a fantastic one. Let me ask you one follow-up question. The first mistake is the facilitator. The facilitator not giving the right uh, focus or engagement with the remote audience versus the audience right in front of them. What can facilitators do? What are some tips or tricks you might have for them to try to ensure they're better balancing and addressing their, their complete audience? That's a great question. And there are a couple of things that facilitators can do when they've got a hybrid audience. Perhaps, first of all, we should just call out the assumption that the facilitator is in the room, that they're co-located, because in some organizations, it may be the facilitator who's remote. So if you have that scenario, you want to designate an in-room moderator or somebody who is co-located with your audience and they can be your eyes and ears. So let's assume that the facilitator is in the classroom, in with the co-located participants. What are some things that they can do? Number one, keep a remote first mentality. By that, I mean, if there's a question that's asked that they get the remote audience to respond first, or if they're using the camera to present a short segment, that they're looking at the camera screen as opposed to looking at the in-person audience. It's not that you never look at the in-person audience, but we pay attention to the camera lens and we focus our eyes so that the remote audience feels like they're part of the conversation. If 
in-person audience members start speaking to one another and they can't be heard on the audio, the facilitator could either pause that conversation to make sure there's a microphone or some other uh perhaps repetition of what's being said. So the remote audience feels like they're there. And to to fall on a a sports analogy, uh, when you think about any type of big sporting event that you're watching on television, that you're not actually there, you listen to the announcers who are talking about it. And the goal of the announcer is to help you feel like you're there. They describe the crowd. They describe the scene. They describe what's happening. They use colorful language to paint the picture of what's happening. And that's the same idea of what a in-person facilitator can do to help the remote audience feel like they're there. For example, if there's a long pause, the facilitator could say something like, uh, Jane is getting ready to load some slides up, or we're waiting for Adam to come back into the room. Just that idea of helping the remote audience feel like they're there. Tom, I could keep going. I actually teach a workshop in how to facilitate hybrid events, but hopefully that gives you an idea of a few quick things that take a little extra intention, a little extra effort, but go a long way to helping the remote audience feel like they're part of the class, feel like they're part of the learning experience. Cindy, that's great. I love the energy and I I love some of the takeaways. Moving on. So we've talked about some of the common mistakes. We've talked about some things that you could do to address them. So let's say you've got an L&D department. They're, they know they're going to be serving a population that is a mix of in-person and remote learners. Why should they consider adding other content delivery methods besides just the hybrid learning event uh, into the mix to move towards a, a more blended model? Uh, why is that something that they should consider given the context of their audience? Tom, I think that's the golden question for us to answer because our goal as learning departments is to help our audience learn, right? That's an obvious statement, but the reason we do any learning intervention, any training program, any sort of formalized learning effort is to help our audience do something better, to learn a new skill, uh, and If we want that to happen, then we need to be thinking about the best way for them to learn. In my work in virtual training, something I hear over and over and over again, and I've heard it for years, is that, well, my participants are multitasking. They don't answer questions. They're not paying attention, right? It sounds different in different contexts, but the general idea is how do we engage our remote audiences? And whether it's virtual, whether it's hybrid, we have, when we think about the workforce today, uh, a very capable set of adults who can do work and can, can do work on their own, right? The, the, the future of remote and hybrid work is really um, asynchronous, allowing people to do things on their own. We've got overloaded plates. We've got overloaded schedules. We have so much. Uh, And part of the reason why people are multitasking or not engaging is that we're bringing them together for a live event when what our goal is of trying to to get them to learn what we're trying to do, they could do on their own. Like, for example, 
Are we bringing people together just to lecture at them? Why not record that and let them watch it on their own time and then bring them together for Q&A, bring them together for um, some practice or discussion or dialogue about that topic? Or instead of bringing them together to do a demonstration, could we create a job aid? Could we create an asynchronous e-learning? And I think as learning departments, we need to think about how much learning can we create that our learners can do on their own or or in small cohorts according to time that works for them in their work schedule? And I'm not saying make them do work on, uh, I don't know, after hours or the middle of the night, but things, if this is important for their job and we're building in accountability, then we want to honor and respect the fact that they're adult learners and that they can take accountability for learning. And so we're bringing them together for collaboration, for communication, for discussion, for practice, for feedback, and we're making it count. So to answer your original question, why should a learning department be looking at creating other assets, blended learning because blended learning is largely self-led asynchronous where we bring people together for the collaboration and the conversation. The interesting thing about that, that I was writing down as you were sharing your thoughts is it's, it actually goes back to the biggest mistake that you mentioned just a moment ago, right? You mentioned the second biggest mistake is not putting the participant experience first, specifically in the hybrid learning environment and that in that event where you've got a mix of remote and in-person learners. But it almost sounds like you're saying, if I could make a, a leap here, the biggest mistake is not putting the participant experience first also as it relates to content design. Because that's what I took from your from your answer there. It's really about understanding, hey, you've got a group of adults, you've got to deliver them content to achieve an outcome that fits in their schedule at the time that they need it. And you know, maybe part of the way to think about that is think about their experience with the content first. And is this the right content experience, not just as a direct classroom experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to go back, you know, you are the expert, of course, as, <laughs> as they say. Uh, I want to go back to, to teams that are kind of doubling down on delivering training to a hybrid group. So they're, they know that they're going to deliver hybrid learning. They're going to do it consistently. They're going to invest in it because they know they have this distributed workforce that's going to be a mix of in-person and remote. So what I'd like to do is understand, as that team exists today, where do they invest the most, right? So I'll give you some categories. I'd like you to try to prioritize these three categories for us in terms of investment for the L&D team. So one would be course development. The second would be technology that better helps facilitate the delivery of a, of a hybrid learning environment, or the third would be facilitation skills for the people who are actually facilitating. So if you had to prioritize, you know, in order of importance, one, two, or three, because, you know, not everybody can do all three, unfortunately, how would you prioritize those? And then how would you maybe help the audience think about how they should in the context of their business? It's so interesting that you asked this question because in my annual state of virtual training report, one of the questions that I've asked over the last few years is, what do you wish your organization did differently about virtual training? 
over and over and over again, I hear, I don't have enough resources. And I hear that from designers. I hear that from facilitators. I hear that in multiple contexts. But the idea of resources for a designer, that means I need time to develop training, develop learning experiences that are significant and meaningful and valuable. In other words, I can't just take a classroom training program and a slide deck and slap it into an online learning program and call it done. Like there's, I need resources. I need time for do that. So that's a very important priority. The facilitators will say, I need time to learn the technology. You're going to put me in a, a room with these technical components. I need to learn how they work. I need practice. I need um, the time to upskill myself. Uh, and they're also going to say, we need to equip our participants. They need webcams or they need quality headsets or they need better internet connectivity because a participant who can't stay connected to a learning program is obviously not learning. They're spending all their time and energy trying to just reconnect to the program. So the answer is resources. The resources that matter are going to depend on your organizational structure. Do you have a team of instructional designers or are you asking facilitators to do the design? What kind of infrastructure do you have for your participants? So when you think about the the infrastructure of the resources, if I had to pick a priority, I would invest in your facilitators. They're the ones that uh, can make it work in any learning environment, but they need the skills to effectively engage remote audiences and in a hybrid environment to effectively engage both environments. We also want them to be so comfortable with the technology platforms we're using For example, if they're using a collaboration whiteboard, we want them to be very skilled and able to explain it to participants so that participants can just use the whiteboard for the activity and not be bogged down in trying to learn how the whiteboard works, right? It's not about the whiteboard. It's about the learning that's behind it. So if I had to prioritize facilitator upskilling, facilitator technology, The next place I would go is to look at, are my participants equipped with what they need? And do my designers have the skills and the time and the resources to create good quality interactive learning? I like that, Cindy. I really appreciate that. I think that that's a a path that I think would make most people successful. So I appreciate the the really clear framework um, and focus there. I I do want to get back to something that we talked about way earlier. but I loved as a term, <laughs> I did want to make sure we picked your brain on before we, we wrapped up this conversation today. Um, the DIY hybrid classroom. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. How do we, uh, how do we get you on HGTV doing DIY hybrid classrooms? <laughs> Great idea. How fun would that be? So when we think about the equipment that you need, number one, clear audio creating an audio connection where everybody can be heard. And you've probably seen on TV, maybe you work for an organization that has a room where there's a microphone at every seat. And that is a fantastic yet rare luxury to have. 
But we do want to think about where's the microphone placement? Where do we pick up the audio? Number one. Number two, video. Do we have a camera in the room that everybody who is in person can be seen? And if not, well, we have mobile devices, we have tablets, we have laptops with built-in cameras. Where are we going to position them? Now, thinking about room positioning, if you place the camera at the front of the room and you have a presenter, a facilitator, a speaker who is standing at the front of the room it's probably going to pick up the back of their head. So thinking about the positioning of the camera where that camera is going to pick up anyone who is speaking or presenting. So perhaps you put it at the back of the room or there are cameras that will swivel and turn based on where the audio is coming from. There's some pretty cool technology out there that could be employed or used, but we're going to take time to set up the audio and the video correctly. Now, I believe it's important that anyone who's in the room, a participant who's joining, co-located together, has the same device or the same access to the technology that the remote learners do. So if I'm inviting uh, learners and participants in person, I'm going to ask them to bring their laptop or bring their mobile device so that they can respond to a poll question or type in chat or use the electronic whiteboard. The catch is they can't connect to audio. If they connect to the audio, we're going to have echo problems galore. So a little bit of uh, a tech check, making sure that it's uh, just one audio connection in the room and then everyone else on equal playing field with the same tools that everyone who's connected into the hybrid learning will have. So the DIY hybrid classroom sounds like making sure you've got your clear audio camera, both quality and positioning. And then if you've got, if you need to be resourceful with that, you know, don't be afraid of the, uh, the good old cell phone. Right. Uh, and then last, which I, I, I like as a takeaway, cause I don't think it's always emphasized enough. I'm even thinking back to a, a hybrid learning session that I did for one of my teams in uh, December um, and that's the universal access to the technology. I think that's a great one. I think that ultimately going back to your earlier takeaway, which is putting the experience uh, of the remote learner first, you can't really do that if you don't have the full classroom engaged in the same places through the same technology. So I love that takeaway. I think that's a really good one. Cindy, before we wrap, are there any uh, closing thoughts or ideas or takeaways that you'd like to leave the audience with? you know, as it relates to the goal of delivering good hybrid learning. Tom, I can think of so many things I would <laughs> love to keep talking about, but I know we have limited amount of time. And I think I would leave the listener with this, and that is to remember it's about the learning and it's about the learner. And if we remember that, if we put ourselves in their shoes and think through what do they need to learn and how can we help enable that learning, then we're going to create value. And that's our goal as facilitators, trainers, presenters, designers, anybody in an L&D department, our goal is to add value to our learners. And so let's make sure we're doing that regardless of the environment that we're working in. Great value for your learners. That's a perfect closing statement. I love that. Cindy, if our audience wants to learn more about you, um, where can they find you? The best place is to go to my website, which is cindyhuggett.com. I'm sure we'll put it in the show notes. I have a resource library out there full of 
different resources that are available. You can download. I facilitate workshops. I write books. I have a new book coming out later in 2022 called The Facilitator's Guide to Immersive, Blended, and Hybrid Learning. So you want to be on the lookout for that. And I can't wait for everyone to see the resources that I've been working on specifically related to that. You'll also find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Cindy Hug is my tagline, and you'll find me out there in both places. Awesome. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for your time. It's been great. We'll definitely have links to all your social avenues as well as the, the website in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time. I know this has been very impactful. We appreciate it. And I, uh, I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. The Secret Society of Success is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Check out our sister podcast, Talk of the Trade, for tips and tricks for sales and marketing leaders. Visit www.mimeo.com for more information.